The Fellowship Community is a network of churches and leaders called together to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ by growing in Christ-likeness, living by God's word, and joining in God's mission in the world. And so the, the job of us as a church has been to kind of call people back to this living in intention together, um, but intentionally living in that tension. And that has been, uh, it's been good, but exhausting. This is TFC Conversations, an audio and video production from the Fellowship Community. This month, Mike McClenahan, board president of the Fellowship Community and pastor of Solana Beach Presbyterian Church in Solana Beach, California, interviews Fellowship Community board member, Ray Garcia. Ray is the lead pastor of Roxborough Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So just uh, quickly describe where you are right now. What, tell me your context for ministry. Yeah, yeah. so well, technically right now I'm in my office, which is at the church. Um, I'm in the northwest section of Philadelphia. Um, and so in a, in a neighborhood called Roxborough. And uh, yeah, we are um, I'm in, a, in a PCUSA church that is uh, kind of standing on a historical context of the understanding of scripture. And so um, in the midst of that, like in the midst of all that's going on around us right now, I kind of feel like I'm in the hub of all things happening. Uh, and, and there's a lot of, yeah, there's been a lot of growing emotion around that. Yeah. So, yeah, Philadelphia has been the news the last couple of weeks since the election. And um, there's so many different things we could talk about. But what are some of the challenges that you've experienced during 2020? I want to say during COVID, but I'm guessing that that um, the issue of race is really important and economics is really important. The pandemic is also really important and the election. So pick any of those. And what have been some of the challenges for you in your context? Yeah, well, if I were going to say what are the challenges, I probably would have named all the ones you just named. So yeah. we're on the same page there. Um, you know, I guess the 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 issue of uh, of, of racial tensions uh, has been very high, especially in my context. I'm in a in a pretty diverse uh, well, the city of Philadelphia itself is pretty diverse, and our neighborhood is a diversifying neighborhood, and so a historically white neighborhood uh, that over the last twenty or so years has become more increasingly diverse and then uh, enter into a historically white church, a pastor uh, whose last name is Garcia and who's half black and half white. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you find yourself in, um, in an increasingly diverse community. And so, uh, yeah, the, the last, for the last number of months, but especially here coming up to the election and, uh, and up, up through that, uh, the questions around race and um, have been, been heightened and the uh the amount of uh conflict Mm -hmm. uh, it's grown past tension Mm. um and it's grown to actual conflict well and and that's both like within friend circles within social circles and then kind of within our city at large and so the feeling that in the church has been you know has been pretty pretty evident and actually i would say uh, maybe, maybe it's an area where COVID was helpful, um, because we've had such restricted gatherings, um, that, um, we didn't, we weren't able to have the large group gatherings like we would normally have. And so, um, the, the conversations have been on a much smaller scale, though equally as intense. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's been, it's been a really hard time to walk people through the racial tensions when you can't literally walk with people. 
Yeah, so how has, has the tension manifested itself in your church? And then how have you had opportunities to engage the community? Yeah, so so going back for the last probably six years now, we've been uh, addressing racial reconciliation specifically uh, through inviting partners around this from around the city to come and, and lend voice. We've done panel discussions. We've had people come in and give instruction. We've uh, uh, been sent out on mission intentionally. Um, and so th that conversation hasn't been new to us, but uh, his, for the last six years, we've been walking it through like hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And uh, as we saw the political climate and the racial climate heighten across our nation, um, that was, you know, that was pretty evident here in our city as well. And so, um, I mean, I've, I've had, I've had church members call me and say, I don't know whether to go March or not March. I've had, uh, I've had church members who are angry. I, I mean, we've got police officers who are part of our, who are part of our congregation. We've got mm. white police officers and black police officers as a part of our congregation. Wow. So like all of those things have, uh, have been ways that it's embodied itself, but probably the place where it's been most evident has been in the social circles of, of social media. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's just where uh, it's been polarizing yeah. where people just kind of, kind of one direction or the other and just blasted the other. And so the, the job of us as a church has been to kind of call people back to this living in intention together, um, but intentionally living in that tension. And that has been, um, it's been good, but exhausting. Yeah. It seems, it sounds like, if you've been on this journey for years, it would seem like this season is a gift in some ways. It br it's bringing things to light in a way that you can address it, but also a huge challenge because there are so many other things going on at the same time. You're not just dealing with one issue. So yeah. what are what are some things what are some what are some things that you've been able to drill down into in order to address the issue of race right now? Are there books, speakers? Um, is there a, a way of, is there a theology of race that you, that you draw on during this time? What, what what's your go-to? Yeah. Uh, great question. So, yeah, so there, we actually created a, uh, on our website, we, on our church website, we created a, like a reading list and, you know, with some podcasts and some videos as a resource for folks. And we pointed people in that direction. Um, you know, there's some, there's some very popular threads that people are following right now, but then, you know, then, then there's, you know, kind of more regional resources that we're reading, but I think, you know, at the, at the end of the day, our conversation has, what has been the, the greatest win for us, which yeah. I think maybe is kind of the heart of what we're pointing to here. What has been the greatest win for us has been um, getting people to the, to the table together. Uh -huh. um, and, uh, and, you know, the the idea of getting people to the table together, meaning not just they're in the same space, but that that their voices are, are welcomed in the same way. Yeah. Um, and that has been uh, that's been what we've aimed at. That's been mm -hmm. what we've been. You know, we've kind of said we will get there when we get when when that's happening. Mm -hmm. um, and when so pe right when now, people are around the same table and people's voices are all being heard. That's what you're saying. Right. Because it's and, not and, just getting getting people in the same room. We, right. we've, been, we've probably been in the same room for a long time, That's but right. where people's voices are heard and understood. And that takes some discipline, right? That takes some ground rules. Yeah, it, it takes, well, here, here's an example. Like one of the things it takes is amplification, right? So 
Um, if, if there's six people in the room and four people all think the same, then two other people's voices need to be amplified hmm. in order for all six voices to actually be heard. Yeah. Right. And so like, that's, that's an example. Right. And so, um, that has been the work that we've been investing in the most. And what we've tried to do in the midst of these conversations is to say, okay, like we can't lump all these things together. So what you pointed out, Mike is right on. Like if we were just addressing race right now on its own, we feel really equipped for those conversations, but add into that, that we're in the midst of a political divide. Yeah. Right. Add into that, that we're in the midst of, you know, uh, restrictions on on gatherings and and yeah. response to covid add into that we're in the midst of you know what some people are are, are calling right now like a spiritual exile like mm. those things all together you you can't divorce them from each yeah. other so somehow they all you've got but you can't sweep it all as one either yeah and then right? you've got all the social media stuff that is a noise which which by definition is not getting people around the table and amplifying voices so they're heard. There's a great opportunity in social media for people to be bullied, to be shut down, to be made to feel like they don't matter, they don't count, their voice is not important. Yep. And and then there's there's no room for truth-telling. Yeah, Everybody just says whatever they want to say. So I would think that it's like throwing gasoline on a bonfire. For sure in some way. So, so how, you know, so you, th there's so many different aspects of that, that make just getting, you know, your image, getting people around the table right, right now, really complicated. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, so you, you said truth telling, right. And I think that's been part of it. Right. So before that you were asking me what, what's our go-to, I think, I think part of our go-to is recognizing that, is, that we're not the, we're not the definers of truth. We're not the ones who get to decide that. Like that was already laid out the, at the foundations of the earth. Yeah. God has laid out for us what is true. And so our role in response to that is application of truth. Mm. Um, and so while we can invite all the voices to the table, we can amplify voices so every voice can be heard. We have to agree at the table that there is an ultimate truth mm -hmm. and that we, at the end of the day, are going to yield to that truth and authority. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that now, now that's that's contextual to the church, right? Like yep. um, that might not be the answer for how we're going to respond to this in a, in a larger picture outside of the church. But when I talk about in the family of faith, we have to, we, it has to boil down to, does it align with the word mm -hmm. of God? Good. Yeah. Um, that's so good. For, us, for us, that has been the ground rule um, that we, that we, you know, we, we can, you and I could right now begin to debate and we could debate vigorously, but at the end of the day, that debate has to be around the alignment with the word of God. Yeah. Um, and so, so what, so what do you keep coming back to? What, what are a couple nuggets of God's word that are most grounding for you in around the issues that we're facing right now, especially around race? Yeah. So, um, you know, kind of the, 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 the teaching point that we always go to is, is, is John four, right. Where Jesus is having this encounter with the woman at the well. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then I, you know, I think it's like John four thirty two or something like that. It says, uh, and Jesus stayed for the weekend. Mm. It says he stayed. He says it says after two days he left town, mm. right? And, yeah. uh, and that that picture of Jesus uh, engaging across the race, racial, and the socioeconomic divides, mm. 
and choosing to stay, hmm. choosing to stay. Hmm. Hmm. And that, that's the piece that we, we come back to pretty often with our congregation around this context of race, because the, the natural is, is flights, right? I'm just, you know, I came in, I tried to speak something, I tried to speak my point of view and it didn't, it didn't land the way I wanted to, I'm out, mm-hmm. right? Or you think differently than me, I'm out. Yeah. And choosing to say the, the way that we're going to overcome the divides is choosing intentionally to stay mm-hmm. in relationship, right? With a common ground rule. You know, what I love about Ray, I love about that is that uh, in that passage, she goes to, she goes to the village. Mm-hmm. And tells them, come and meet the guy who knows everything, everything about me. About. That's right. And they come out, and then Jesus decides to stay for the weekend. I, right. I hadn't heard it put that way. But you think her transformed life, her her experience of being loved, of giving living water, her, her soul being satisfied in relationship with Jesus, overflowing into her community, and then Jesus stays there to teach, explain, um, uh, model, whatever he was doing. And, and that's, I've never, I've never thought of that before, but that's a beautiful, well, that's, that's just one example of how we can read the word of God around race and miss it yeah, or lean into it. Right. Yeah. You, uh, you could, you could say the same thing about the story of the good Samaritan, right? That's the good, cool. the Samaritan is the good guy in the story, just like the woman at the well, he's the good guy in the story. And he was the one who actually <laughs> sacrificed mm-hmm. when everybody else who should have didn't. And the, all of these stories would have had such racial tension in, uh, in them. Uh, Jesus was not being, uh, uh, was not having good manners when he's, when yeah. he's telling these stories or modeling, he's not having good manners. He's actually doing something prophetic. Yeah. Uh, the, the story of, of uh, Jesus meeting the woman at the well, like when she says, come and meet the man who knows everything about me, she doesn't point to his racial heritage, right? It, it, it's, hmm. it's not come and meet the Jew hmm. who knows all about me, hmm. right? Come meet this man who knows everything about me. And, and it, it, it goes to show that, I, I believe it goes to show, or at least it, 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 it helps support the reality that in relationship is where we find mm-hmm. our, our, our greatest value for what we offer to one another. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, I, and I, love, I love that. It wasn't, uh, you know, it, it, it allowed her to see past divides that had been there for a long time. Because when she, when she meets Jesus, she points to those divides, mm-hmm. right? She points mm-hmm. to them when they're mm-hmm. at the well. But when she runs into town, she's already, she has now learned to look past those divides, right? Not that they're not there, mm-hmm. not that, not that, they, not that, that that culture hasn't been influential for us and not that that isn't significant to who we are. It absolutely is. But it allows her to say, I can engage in a relationship beyond mm-hmm. the divides that were there mm-hmm. before. You right? know, and the so other, the, that's the how other, we point to each other. The other people who came to that meeting were the disciples because they went into town to get something to eat and you could just right. picture them. Can you picture them all dropping their lunch bags going, wait, 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 what just happened? We're, we're, yeah, yeah. Staying, we're staying here? Yeah. That's great. I love that. Okay, yeah. Ray, give me in 90, yeah. 90 seconds, yeah. give, me, give me your faith story. 90 seconds. Yeah, all right, great. Start the clock. So, um, so <laughs> I, I, I grew up a single parent home. Mom raised me, uh, praise the Lord. Uh, 
never engaged in faith um, from the time I was born to the time I was 16. At 16 years old, got invited to church by a friend. You know, he he said, hey, I've got a youth group that I go to. I didn't know what that meant, but he said, there's free food. I said, I'm in. Um, and uh, when I got there, it was a it was an all Hispanic church and uh, and they spoke exclusively Spanish. And I look like I speak Spanish and I have a name that suggests I should. And I don't. Yeah. And so that was quite the experience. But what happened right away is a youth pastor grabbed a hold of me and he just he befriended me hmm. and uh, he just walked with me, he walked with me for four months while I listened, literally listened to a word I didn't understand. Um, because it wasn't spoken in my language in faith or in, in practice. Um, and, uh, but after four months, uh, my heart just caved hmm. and I, and my, my come to faith moment was I looked at my youth pastor with tears in my eyes. I was in his house. I looked at him with tears in my eyes and I said, I don't know this God. That's what I called him. This God, the hmm. way that you do. And I want to, and it reminds me of that, that verse that Paul says, he says, follow me while I follow Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, I, that that's what I wanted. I wanted to follow Jesus the way that my youth pastor was following Jesus hmm. um, because I saw him doing it. I saw his yeah. life lived out and I wanted to confess the Lord that light that night, November 4th, 1994 and started a new, new journey. And two years into my faith, I'm going to, I'm getting close to the end of my time, but two years into my faith, um, I remember asking my youth pastor, I said, I said, I don't understand. Like if God can change my life, if God can change your life, why hasn't he changed the world around us? Hmm. And that question has defined my ministry ever since. Okay, good. Now you have ninety more seconds to to share your call to ministry. How did that How did that develop? Yeah. So uh, that that question really it became became the genesis of my call to ministry. My youth pastor sent me off to college, where I went to uh, Eastern University, where I ultimately became a youth men major um, and started working at the church. After I was I was actually only uh, it was nineteen ninety eight, the first church I worked in, and so I was only. Uh, four years old in my faith and mm. it was, was a youth pastor. Mm. Um, but all of that revolved around like, hey, I saw somebody walk with people who walk with me to come to know Jesus. My youth pastor showed up in my life every day for about two and a half years. From the time I came to faith until I graduated high school, he saw me every day. Mm. And, uh, and I just said, well, I just saw somebody who invested in me in a way that, mm. that changed my life. Mm-hmm. And it was the answer to that question. Like, if God can change our life, how come the world around us isn't changing? And, and the answer to that was, okay, well, the, you know, the, the feet on this journey are mine, mm-hmm. right? So, God, you're calling, you're calling me to be a part of this story um, and to transforming the world around me, not through my own strength, but through what you want to do, Lord. And mm-hmm. I just need to be the able vessel and willing. And, mm-hmm. so, uh, and so that's been my call. My call has been that. And, so it's been, and then as, uh, as I went into professional ministry as a youth pastor, I've been in the Philly region my whole life, um, and uh, and then about ten years into my ministry call, um, I was I was commissioned to start a urban ministry in the city of Philadelphia called the Philadelphia Project, and doing that is where I discovered my call to pastoral ministry, um, and started pastoring the church where I'm at while running the missions organization of the Philadelphia Project, and and my wife and I have just been living in that call for the last twelve years now. It's been it's been absolutely amazing. And eleven, and sem- 11 years now. Seminary. Yeah, I went in the midst of that. I went to seminary. Yeah, went to seminary out here, Eastern Seminary. It's called Palmer. Graduated yep. from Palmer um, in two thousand and seven. And how did you decide to become Presbyterian? Uh, the first church I worked at was a Presbyterian church. I came to faith in an independent Baptist church. That's all I knew. Um, and then the first church where, when I was in college, they said, "Hey, we're looking for somebody who will just work here part time." 
He said, we want you to love Jesus and tell people about him. I just said, that sounds like me. Um, and it was a Presbyterian church. And then it's just kind of just kind of the dominoes just kept falling. I had a Presbyterian minister who was uh, who was kind of served as a uh, uh, more than just a mentor to me, but like but but at least a mentor to me. And uh, and he just kind of said, hey, like you just follow you. You walk through the door that's open and you just mm-hmm. kind of keep going. And I, I kind of kept going along. And the PCUSA is just where I, where it's just made sense historically to live. And so I've just been there um, and they've given me the freedom to to, to live into my calling here in Philly, um, and to use the platforms that the Lord gives me to promote the gospel. And so, um, it's been, yeah, it's been a great, it's been a great run. I wish it there was, you know, there's no deeper tie to the, to the tradition than that. It's just really, this is the doors the Lord kept opening. I just said, this makes sense. I'm going to keep going. It's awesome. I love that. And how did you get connected with the fellowship community? Uh, yeah, I was, I went to, so it was, it was from that mentor or minister. Um, and he was like, Hey, this is, this is your people. These are the people who speak faith the way you do. Um, because for me, honestly, there's just been frustrations along the way where I, where I, I felt like I speak about my relationship with the Lord different than, than, uh, a lot of my brothers and sisters, um, who are part of our denomination. So I needed to find a subset within our denomination where I just felt like I don't need to defend. I can just talk openly about who I am in Jesus and, and we can celebrate that together. Um, and so he introduced me to the fellowship kind of when it, when it was just becoming the fellowship. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I've been tracking along since that day down in Orlando. So, wow. Uh, and so I've been, been, been along for the ride since then. Um, and then just a couple of years ago, I was asked to, to serve on the board uh, by recommendation of a good friend who uh, Hope Lee, who is um, a voice, has been a voice for, for the fellowship for a number of years. Nice. Um, okay, I have a, a Philadelphia question for you. Yeah, all right. Okay, so is it, um, I saw a documentary uh, on a, of a woman from Mexico who makes the best barbacoa in the world. Have you been to her restaurant? Nope. Philadelphia's but, a big, big But city. I'm really interested now. I'm gonna okay, I'm gonna, okay I'm, gonna send you, I'm gonna send you a text. It was on the chef's table. She has an yeah. amazing story, not only because she makes the best barbacoa in the world, but she also um, is a voice for uh, immigrants, which is it. kind of a cool thing. And then yeah. um, is, uh, is there a favorite Philly cheesesteak? Sure. Yeah. I mean, so on neighborhood based, uh, you know, I live in Roxborough. And so Roxborough has uh, a place called D'Alessandro's, which is always on the top 10 for everybody. Yeah. Um, but because you're from the neighborhood, you know, it becomes, it becomes your primary go-to. Um, so we love it there. Um, but you know what I, what I tell everybody is it's really hard to get a bad Philly cheesesteak yeah. in Philly. Yeah. It's really easy to get a bad Philly cheesesteak other places. Yeah. But it's really hard to get a bad Philly cheesesteak. And what's the key? To, what's the key to a really good Philly cheesesteak? What's 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 the key? Oh man. Um honestly, I I I think that the role has more to do with it than people give credit for. Wow. It's gotta but be a little, I, little crunchy, a little crunchy, a little soft. Yeah, you want it to be you want it to be heated, but not but but you but not hard. Yeah. Right. So yeah, that's that's important. And uh yeah, so the role has a lot more to do with it than than people give credit for. But I, I will also say whether your cheese is layered or whether it's cooked in is really important. Mm, okay, okay, I'll keep it in mind. I've got to come to Philadelphia and visit. I'd love you to do. do that. I know, I know. Okay, uh, for reasons, but yes, for a number of reasons, I need to do that. Um, tell me about uh, the what's a joy that kind of a surprising joy for you? It could be family, ministry, anything. A, a joy, a surprise. 
during COVID yeah. that you didn't expect, and you you some you know you you think about it, you go, wow, God, thank you. That that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. So um, so a little a little more context. So I, I pastor a small church in the city of Philadelphia. Like pre-COVID, we're about 110 people, um, and so as a result, when uh, when COVID hit and we went to this whole virtual thing we were, we were way behind, way behind. And the joy for us is that there were two other like churches in our neighborhood that were also way behind um, in that context. And we just kind of, as pastors and friends, we actually, uh, you know, we, we, we get together fairly often. We just got together and said, man, like, it just seems like completely uphill. And then somewhere along the line, we said, you know, what if we just did this together? Hmm. And so we spent uh, from those early days in March all the way through July doing service together every week. The three churches, the three pastors just came together and together we officiated the service. And, uh, and that was fantastic. And it gave, it, it gave our churches, you know, um, extended relationship with one another. And so right now, as we thought we were coming out of the COVID experience, we begin. We we actually have been planning for ways to keep our churches connected. Nice. And, and what's, doing, what's, like, what's what's the name of the church? My church. No, the my other church, church. My church is Roxborough Church. Yeah. Wistahickon Church is another one, which is you know ten minutes down the road from us. And then Watershed Church, which is a Southern Baptist plant here in our city, um, were the three churches they got. Wow. Together. Wow. So you came together to pool resources, figured how can we do this together? Yeah. That's- and Mike, That's it worked awesome. out great. Like, like one of our church, like our church had a, had a, had a, um, there's a woman who has her own photography business. And so, so she came with her camera and then one of the other churches was like, they had a guy who was a videographer. So he was like, Hey, if you could put the film, if you could, if you could put it all together, I'll, I'll make it all look nice together at the end. And, nice. uh, and then, and then, you know, my church had the space, you know, one of the other churches uses a gymnasium. And so, so we had the space that they could use. And so we all just kind of added something into the conversation. And then by the, by the time we pulled it all together, we, we actually had the pieces we need to make that happen. And that was just nice. that we sustained that for, you know, 20 plus weeks. That was pretty, pretty fantastic. Awesome. And what about home? Describe home for COVID and, and what's been kind of a cool thing. I had hair. I don't. Um, uh, yeah, no, it's been great. It's been great. I've I've got four kids. My oldest is 11. So we're on the odd year. So we're five, seven, nine, 11 right now. Wow. Um, Boys, girls, uh, three boys with a girl at the, at the seven year old. Um, and so, so that's been, that's been wild because we've been learning a lot about their personalities as a result of like virtual learning. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, like some of our, one of our kids is excelling and one of our kids is not. And the other kid is kind of right where, where they always have been. And so, um, so that's been really interesting, but you know, I I, honestly, Mike, if I had to, if I had to point to anything that I would just say, I've grown in greater appreciation and and a greater sense of understanding of how much my wife does. There you go. That is a, that is a great, (laughs) that is a great thing to say. Yeah. I mean, just just honestly, just watching her, uh, she, she's a realtor by profession. She works at our nonprofit as well. And then in addition to that, she's the virtual school mom. And I mean, Mm. she's just, she's just been crushing it and Mm -hmm. it hasn't been at the expense of our relationship or it hasn't been at the expense of, of, of her as wife. And it's, she just, she's carried so much. It's been, it's been fantastic to watch and, and, you know, um, 
here in our culture, you know, we, we, we identify and talk about her as the first lady of the church. Yeah. And so living in that role as well has been, has been, you know, in the midst of COVID has been, it's just been fantastic. Just great. A new, a new and greater, deeper appreciation for that. Great. What's your wife's name? Michelle. Michelle. Awesome. Well, Ray, that's a great way to end our conversation. Yeah. Talking, talking about how great your wife is. And I, I was thinking about uh, just um, talking to a friend about um, another friend who's struggling as a pastor in their marriage during COVID. And, um, and my wife, Amy, and I have gotten much closer to another pastor and his wife during COVID, spending more time together and realizing there's a need for us to encourage each other because... Yeah. This there's there may have already been uh, challenges in the pastor's family before COVID, and especially with children, and you know, um, depending on how we respond as pastors with anxiety or you know confusion or um, a sense of guilt, right? I mean, it's over. It can be overwhelming, and I know that that impacts. So thanks for sharing about um, Michelle. That's really cool. And so I want to. I'd love to close in prayer. Thanks, Mike. I pray for it. you and, and your family. And also just say to everybody, thanks for joining us. And and uh, the bottom of your screen, uh, click on uh, more information for the fellowship community. We'd love to get connected with you. Let me close this in prayer. God, thank you so much for Ray and for his story um, th- that Jesus, you grabbed his heart yeah. when he was a teenager and, um, and that you modeled for him what it's like to be Jesus uh, and disciple others, just walking alongside of them. And, um, and that walking alongside actually makes a difference in the world. What a great vision for ministry. I'm grateful for his call to ministry, his call to be a disciple, and uh, his call to be in Philadelphia during this time in Roxborough. And just pray your blessing on his leadership in the church. Um, pray your blessing on his marriage and uh, his four kids. Pray, God, that through all of this, through the ups and downs of this season that we're in, while we're isolated from one another, that you would draw our hearts closer to one another. Bring us around the table together where we can hear each other's voices and be reminded that you are a great God who loves us and has called us to follow your son, Jesus, and to rely on the truth that you've given us in your word. So we thank you for this conversation and pray that there are many more conversations like this across the country where, um, where we can learn from one another and listen to one another and, and uh, gain strength and courage during this time of unprecedented uncertainty. So God, thank you for Ray. Pray your blessing on him in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to TFC Conversations, an audio and video production of the Fellowship Community. For more information on the Fellowship community and our upcoming regional gatherings, visit our website at fellowship.community. Join us next month as Mike interviews David Wan, Senior Pastor of New Presbyterian Church of Los Angeles. My prayer is, you know, uh, during this hard time, they hold on uh, to the Jesus and the Christ and then uh, don't going down, <laughs> but going upward and by looking at Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for joining us.